This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So before we start, I just want to just take a minute to appreciate Mrs. Hansen for having this idea and putting this together. It's not easy, but she cares about you even once you're gone. So it's not just the current students, it's the alumni that she's always saying, what can we do for them? What should we do? Should we do like baseball or basketball or a speech? <laughs> so a speech, a speech won out. I guess it's easier. Um, we appreciate it. Um, my, my, uh, I have to just do this. It's a little selfish of me. I apologize. Um, I published a book about a year ago. Okay. Uh, yeah. No, you don't have to clap. It's okay. <laughs> that, that wasn't the point of this. But during, during Shovavim is a special, a special time for people to review the Halachas of Family Purity. And my book is a very unique book in English for men and women. And we are heavily discounting it on Feldheim.com. So anybody here who's married who does not have a copy, anybody who's watching who does not have a copy, got about a week left to order your copy. Or if you want to like put something special in like somebody's like Shalach Manas or all your Shalach Manas or anything like that, it's a very unique opportunity. <laughs> so I just want to just throw it out there. Feldheim.com, the complete guidebook to family purity for men and women. Thank you very much. Okay, so I got my, my uh, Feldheim obligation out of the way. And with that, uh, yeah, we could get started. It's only $9.99. So if you, you know, if you didn't see my WhatsApp status in the last 12 minutes, um, now, you have, now you have that information. Okay, so um, with that being said, I also want to apologize that I'm not wearing a tie today and that I'm living in a sweater. Um, I believe that when they came to uh, Ellis Island, they made a very tactical error. They must have arrived sometime in the spring or the summer or the fall, uh, maybe. I don't know, right? And then we have to wait till we get 75, 80 before we realize, like, I'm freezing to death. So then we all migrate down to where it's actually warm. I don't understand it. I don't know why they didn't originally just land in Miami and just say, we're here. We're staying. We're good for the whole year. We don't have any reason to go to New York, and I honestly have no clue what the people who landed in Montreal or Toronto were thinking whatsoever. <laughs> Absolutely no idea. Right, when you go outside and it's a foot every day of snow, that's like little hint, this is probably not a smart place to settle. I'm not judging anybody. I'm just speaking for myself that I'm freezing perpetually. So you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about, right? There's, there's just, it's an issue for half the year. I really don't get it. I don't understand it. Um, but to each their own. Whatever, I'm just saying. Um, I, it is great to see most of you. Um, it's great to see all of you. But, but the, <laughs> what I mean to say, it's great to see all of you. But the most of you that I recognize, that I see, um, some of you I do not recognize. But it's great to see you anyways. But when I started teaching in the seminary, about four years ago, Mrs. Hansen? You don't know? Okay. <laughs> so, right, it was the greatest decision of my life. And there was one tactical error within that decision, as some of you may know, that I was only teaching once a month. And in the beginning, that's what I was doing. And it was once a month. I came in just once a month, if you remember. And about halfway through the year, when we had the Arnava Shabbaton, so we, I was walking through the halls, and there were a couple girls who like stopped me and they were like, you know, you look really, really familiar. <laughs> and I was like, that is very good. 
because you're in my class and you should know me by now, but I guess there was a slight issue with the scheduling and next year we'll make sure we do this a little bit more frequently. So what I mean to say is it's great to see everybody, but for those of you who I don't recognize, it may be because you're from that one first year. If you are, you know who you, you don't know, okay? Um, or you're just before my day, which is also okay. It's really great to see everybody. Um, I had one more joke that I'm going to skip right now because I realize, whatever, it may cause problems later on. So we'll just stop that one. Okay, wonderful. Now, um, I do want to give you, before the end of the night, a little bit of homework. And before I even start saying anything, I just want to tell you that I had a lot more to say. And I just realized that, like, the second speech is just, you just... Nobody's going to complain if I say, like, we're going to just do it a little shorter. I never heard anybody go, like, no, I really would rather if you just kept it, right? You know what I'm saying, right? Nobody ever does. So there's a couple of stuff I'm just going to cut out. So we'll just, we'll try to, try to get home at a normal hour because we have a long night, you know, whatever, meeting stuff, and you guys are busy. Most of you, most of you know you have to get back to Queens, right? Most of, right? Most people here have to get back to, right? I know, I'm saying, right? Most, (laughs) most people have to get back to Queens. So we'll try to keep this, um, Short, sweet, and to the point, just with a couple ideas. And I want to give you something that you could maybe take away. Because if I asked most of you realistically, except for those of you who are currently in seminary, but it might be a challenge for you as well, to name, like, repeat something over from one of the teachers while you were in seminary. Most people would be like, I don't remember anything. (laughs) Right? Because when you're sitting in class, you have so many ideas Right? So maybe some people took out a notebook like once a year, like, you know, like just to take it out to job. Oh, that sounds kind of religious. I'll try to remember that somewhere. And, and then you wake up like nine years later, you're like, what is this notebook? And you open it up, and you're like, hey, that's something. But like you, you, ha- like you haven't thought about it in like the longest time. You know what I'm talking about, right? I'm, I've been there also, right? My parents are moving now, and my father, every day comes in with like another one of like my treasures that he found. So he, re- he gave me, like, my ninth grade notebook, my tenth grade notebook. He recently gave me my Olive Phase book that I had literally, like, in, in pre-1A or kindergarten. And I'm, like, looking through, I'm like, hey, kid was pretty good. Like, <laughs> you know, like, I'm, 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 like, discovering old artifacts. And I think most people, when you go through a system, it's just the way of the system, right? You go in, you hear ideas, you process them, and it's nice. And then you leave, and you kind of forget almost everything. Okay, Tehila happens to update her WhatsApp status with what everybody says, so she remembers stuff more frequently. But most of us, most of us go through, right? And you just you hear ideas, and it processes, and then that's sort of just just how it goes. But I want to share with you a concept, an idea from one of the most. What we're good? <laughs> yeah, why not? Okay, from one of the most. From one of the most. Um, misunderstood or, or least studied tragic events in Jewish history. So you guys are familiar that the, we left Mitzrayim, right? That, that's, that's, that you guys remember, right? So, right, when Kalisha left Mitzrayim, Moshe Rabbeinu showed up, and he declared himself the leader. He for, first argued back and forth with Hashem. Me and Noichi, who am I? I should go. I can't speak. I can't this. Finally, Hashem says, Moshe, you're going. And Moshe decides he's going to go. And he gathers together all of the Zakanim, the elders. The elders were essentially like the leaders, right? The de facto leaders in Klai Yisrael at that point were the Zakanim. And Moshe shows up and he convinces them that he is in fact the leader. And Moshe says, now, you guys with me? We're with you. Great, we're going to Paro. And they're like, we're going to Paro. We're excited. 
but very nervous. And they started walking. You guys are familiar with the story, right? Judaism 101, right? Okay. And they started walking towards Paro's palace. And what happened along the way? Slowly but slowly, they started, eh, I remember to have an appointment. I had time for me to go. They got nervous. They got scared. Why? The Medra says because they started encountering lions, right? They started running out, and they started panicking. And the Zakanim started, eh, this is not really for me. This is for somebody else. I'm out of here. And it's brought down that because of that decision, they were punished. What was the punishment? Very good. They weren't able to go on Har Sinai. When it came time for the Jews to receive the Torah, Hashem says, Moshe, Eli, come up here. And Moshe says, okay, I'm coming up. But the Zakanim were told, stop. You were supposed to accompany Moshe when Moshe came up to Paro. You guys didn't go. Now, when it's time for Moshe to come up and receive the Torah, mm, sorry, guys have to stop. You can't come up. Good? Yeah? Right? That, that's, that was their punishment. And it's like, okay, fine. You know, like, tip for tat. Like, you didn't, you're supposed to go. You didn't go. Okay, fine. That's the, that's the beginning and that's the end. But Chazal tell us that that one decision by this group had generational impact. Impact on generations. Because what had happened was when Moshe received the Torah... We know that Moshe was up there for how many days? 40 days and 40 nights. And during that time, he realized that the Torah was so vast, he couldn't, couldn't capture it. His, his mind was only limited to whatever he was able to hold. Moshe Kibel Torah, he received the Torah, whatever he was able to hold. He then gave that over to Yeshua, Masar Ali Yeshua. He gave all of that knowledge over to Yeshua. All of that. So Moshe was, for example, like a, like a 64-ounce jug, metaphorically, okay? I'm trying to fill it up with the bath water. You only fill up 64 ounces, that's it. Mentally. He then passes on to Yeshua all of that. Masara, he gives over 64 ounces. Yeshua is a Canaan, is a Canaan, and Levian, Levian. It kept going. And then if you look in Pirkei it says at a certain point, it starts saying, Shammai v'hillel kiblu mehem. They received. Just as Moshe had a diminished reception from Hashem, at certain generations, it started to fall off. Even more and more knowledge was starting to get forgotten. Because they were passing it on now to a 60-ounce container. And that went on for a few generations until it started going smaller. 55 ounces, 50 ounces, 45 ounces. Certain times they were able to give over whatever knowledge was retained, and certain times that knowledge was diminished. Chazal say that the, that the Zakanim had the opportunity on behalf of all of us to join Moshe in Shemayim. That means that rather than there being one 64-ounce jug to receive the Torah, there was the opportunity to have 70 Zakanim in whatever capacity they had, also received the Torah. The amount of knowledge, the wealth of knowledge that was lost 
because of that decision by them, the Zakanim, I cannot go to power, I'm too scared. That meant that the knowledge, the amount of knowledge was diminished almost 70-fold what we actually know today. That's one of the most tragic events in all of world history. And Rav Elia Lapian, one of my most favorite svarim, Lev Elio, he says, why did they make this, 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 this terrible error? It's terrible. Years later, when they forgot one halacha, it was like a tragedy. Here they lost 70 times the knowledge that was brought down. Unbelievable, if you think about it. Revelia Lapian says, why? Why did that happen? He says, because what happens to most people, me and you and most people, is that our brains operate completely independent from our hearts. What does that mean? We all know, let's say, Purim, right? You're going to get Shalach Manas, right? And there's the Shalach Manas that you're going to open, and, and you're going to look and you're going to be like, uh, okay, I don't need 14 pineapples. You put it on the side, right? And then there'll be the Shalach Manas that was baked in somebody's kitchen or something, and you'll be like, I don't really eat food that's made in somebody else's kitchen. Fine, you put it on the side, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> of course you do, right? <laughs> right? And then you're going to look and like, okay, this was bought, it was packaged, it's nice. I'll eat this. I, I, could, I could do this one. This one's okay, right? And then you're going to have like eight, like a million, right? Candies and, and chocolates and stuff. And your brain is going to say to you, don't do it. It's, it's poison. And as you're thinking those words, you're going to be saying a bracha with so much kavana like you never said in your life, Right? And you're going to like, Hashem, thank you for making chocolate. You are awesome. Right? And you're going to make one bracha in the beginning of the day, and you're not going to make another one until you bench. That's what we do. Right? We all do that. Why do we do that? Because our brain is operating on one frequency, and our hearts, our convictions, our emotions are on a totally different wavelength. And Revelia Lapian says that the Zakanim were the first to fail at this idea. They, Moshe came to them and said, Hey guys, I am the Mashiach. Great, lead us out. Yeah, look, my hand, Sarah. He started proving everything. They're like, we are sold. Done. Okay, we're going to Paro. Huh? Yeah, we're going to Paro, right? That's the plan. Hashem said, go to Paro and tell him. And they're like, uh, okay, that sounds good. But the second they encountered fear, Opposition, the minute something was thrown in their way, a lion, that's not what Hashem meant. I can't handle this. Their, their brain was telling them, of course you have to go. But their fears were telling them, eh, you're scared. You're scared? Time to bounce. And because they did that, we all suffer from that today. That's what Revelia Lapian says. And he says that one of the most critical and primary jobs that a Jew has is something that we say in Elenu every day, you should know today that Hashem is your God, that you are a Jew, that you should live your life b'simcha, that you should be a great wife and a great mother and a great daughter and a great friend. What's the next words? Convince yourself. Convince yourself. Don't just know it in your brain. Know it so that when you are faced with opposition, 
know it that when you are faced with a challenge, you still feel that. You're like, I'm supposed to be happy. I'm supposed to live with excitement. I'm supposed to live my life the way I'm supposed to live my life, no matter what comes down the pipe. Now, it is very difficult for me to say this because tonight we have Shani Rosenberg, a.k.a. Riva Rosenberg, a.k.a. Esty. She has many, many nicknames, who's my personal assistant and basically runs most of my life. You could clap for her, 100%, why not? Right? And so it's difficult to talk about like always being happy or always just being upbeat when she works with me. Right? So she knows like, you know, the challenges, the stresses, the things that we have going on all the time. But like anything else, being that it's a challenge, it's, it's exciting. It's something that we always have to work on. What is this challenge? The challenge is understanding that our emotions, the things that we have, our emotions they radiate out and they affect not just us, but they affect our family, affect our children, and the emotions build on the emotions. Let me give you a few examples of what I'm referring to. A few weeks ago, came Hanukkah time, my wife and I were like discussing like what we should get our kids for Hanukkah. In my house, most toys barely make it out of the box before they're like lost, broken. It's like they literally like, they open the box, right? Pull it out and they're like, where did it go? And it's like, we just got it for you. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> How did the wheels come off before you even plugged in the batteries? Oh, I thought you have to take off the wheels to put in the batteries. Okay, it's, it's broken, right? It, it's, it's constant. It's always like that. We're like, we're like, we're just throwing money to the wind, right? Just because you got to do it for your children, so we do it. And it came close to Hanukkah, and we're like, what are we buying for our children? So my wife found this, like, game. It's not a Game Boy. We call it a Game Boy because my generation, that was the only thing that existed. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? A Game Boy was a Game Boy. There was only a Game Boy. That was it. Then it was, like, Nintendo 64 and all these other stuff. I don't know. But, like, Game Boy was, like, Game Boy. So we call it a Game Boy, but it's it's not a Game Boy. (laughs) My son thinks he has a Game Boy. (laughs) He doesn't. Don't tell him. One day he'll find out. But <laughs> it's like one of those game things. It's not like a, it's not like a switch. No, it's not a Wii or a switch. No, <laughs> no. He doesn't know about that. We didn't teach him that yet. He just knows, he just knows Game Boy because that's what we know. And then, and it's like a little game console. I don't know. It has like different games. It's not even fun. It's like stupid. <laughs> Whatever. So, but he thinks it's exciting because it says like 348 games in one. So he's like, oh, I got the greatest Game Boy ever. Whatever. So anyways, we bought it for him, okay? True story, okay? <laughs> we bought it for him, and he got, he got it, and we're like, you have to be careful with this. This is like, it has to last. And he's like, fine. And when I actually see him playing with it, I'm a little bit proud that he, <laughs> hear me out. <laughs> I, I'm proud that he made, like, that, yeah, that it's still alive, you know what I mean? It's like when you get your kids like a goldfish, and it's still swimming, right, after two days, <laughs> Right? You're excited. You're like, wow, this must have a schuss somewhere, right? <laughs> because they don't last. You bring it home and it, it's gone. So you're excited. That's how it is with toys in my house. Okay? So we got him this Game Boy. And, and we see him playing with it. And we're like, wow. He's learning, like, responsibility. Right? He's, <laughs> this thing is great. We're, we're truly excited. We're happy. And, yeah, it's good, you know? And it's one day we see him. And he's, like, sitting... He's like reading a book. 
And I'm like, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> he lost it, right? <laughs> of course he lost it. He lost it or it broke. We know that that's what happened. So we're like, hey, what's going on with your game, game Boy thing? So he's like, I'm not playing with it. So children can sometimes be like evasive. So, you know, evasive, that's the word, yeah? Evasive. Elusive? Evasive? Both. They both work, right? Okay, fine. Grammarly. <laughs> Grammarly is the best thing ever, by the way, right? If you, didn't, if you didn't download Grammarly Pro for, like, whatever, get it. It's the best thing ever. You don't, know how to, you don't have to know how to type or write or commas. I don't know where commas go. <laughs> this thing tells me everything. Where comma, I never know, right? A proposition? What's a proposition? I don't know what they're saying. And, okay, so fine. So, or just get Grammarly. So, anyways, yeah, I don't know. So... Grammarly is awesome. So anyways, yeah, you put into like your phone, your, your emails. Yeah, you don't have to, they don't, we don't need English teachers anymore. Anyway, so, yeah, so my, he's like being elusive or evasive, and, we're, and we're, we're like, hey, what's going on? Where's your game? And he says, he's like, ah, no, I'm not playing with it. So we're like, okay, why are you just reading a book? It's very suspicious, right? <laughs> what did you do with the Game Boy? I want to know right now, where is it? So we don't say it in that tone. You're looking at me like I'm an abusive father. We say like, hey, so, okay, where's the Game Boy? Should we put it in a safe location so that you will have it next time you, you would like to play with it? Right? And, and he's like, you could. It's sitting on my dresser. And we're like, eh, okay, we owe you a bracha. Like, sorry, we suspected you. So we're like, well, question. Why are you not playing with this Game Boy machine? Is there something wrong with it? Do you not like it? Like, maybe that's the only reason it is surviving this long because he doesn't like it. So he says, no, I do like it. But what happened was, this is what he says, I heard you and mommy having a conversation about how we should double down on like putting our phones away when like we're around people, family, supper, you know, don't answer. I'm not, I'm not playing Fortnite. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but it's like even answering questions, you know, Shyla's or like, you put it away, it's family time, it's family time. Like, we should put it on the side, because, like, you should focus more on the people around you. So he says, I was thinking to myself, this is a nine-year-old kid, it's crazy. It's cra- I'm so proud. He says, he says, I was thinking to myself that if you and mommy feel that you have to put away your devices, so I'm nervous that I might get, like, addicted to my device and use it too much, so I decided that I'm going to practice putting it on the side and I'm going to just read a book so that I could practice what you guys are practicing. I'm like, who is raising this child? They are so good. <laughs> I'm like, that's crazy. He's a nine-year-old kid. And the idea is so powerful that the little things that you say, I wasn't like sitting him down, that never works. Like when you try to actually communicate an idea, never works. But like just the little stuff that your children hear from you, they hear you like having a conversation, it, it's like, wow, like it transmits to them. They're hearing what like you're saying. Like those values, it actually like, it goes somewhere. And it's not, it, it's like, I want to share with you like five or six stories, but like the little, little stuff like really, you know, it really sticks out to kids. It really sticks out to ourselves. Like when you do that once, also you like, you feel good, right? You sat down, you eat supper, connected to people. It's exciting. <laughs> it's like you actually get to talk to them. You're not on your phone. On Tubishvat this year, 
I think it was a Thursday night, right? Like a few weeks ago, Tuesday night? Yeah, right? Because Wednesday night, Thursday? There we go, right? What was the post of the night? Okay, fine, fine. So it was Wednesday night, Thursday. So I had to stop in, in, in a lady's house. And I don't want to say her name. I meant to text her before if I could say her name on camera, but uh, she didn't, whatever. I, I'm not going to believe it on her. I forgot to text her. I was going to say she didn't respond. I was going to say I didn't ask her. So she never granted, you know, a certain well-known lady. Um, I stopped in her house. I had to pick something up. So I knock on her door. It's Tubishva. I knock on the door, and I was like, hi, I'm just here to whatever. And her son's like, oh, come on in. My parents are just sitting down to the Seder. And I'm like, I think you got the wrong holiday, <laughs> right? I think you got the wrong holiday. Right, I'm like, you probably missed, right. So I'm like, I'm probably missing something, or they're probably missing something. One of us is missing something. So we walk in. I walk into the house. They are sitting there to a full Tubishvat Seder. They have fruit from countries I never saw in my life, right? And they have like a whole like, Yihiratzon, 49 pages long. She WhatsApped it to me. She says, oh, you're interested? I'll put together a little thing for you, like a little platter for you, which was like like a gift basket. And then she says, like, take us home and I'll WhatsApp you, you know, just the PDF of like what we're saying. And I'm like, okay, like, like what are we saying here, right? You know, like, it can't be more than Rosh Hashanah. My gosh. My goodness, right? Just the date was 45 minutes, right? It's going on and on. I was like, whoa, I'm just going to eat it. <laughs> it's so, right? Like, what's going on? And I, I left the house and I was like, I, I, I feel like I'm doing something wrong. Like, they, they have tapped in to finding excitement in the mundane, not mundane, like who thinks about Tubishvat more than like, it's Tubishvat. Okay, you hear a share, this and that. It was like a five-hour production in their house. I mean, there's no way you could say it faster than that. Right? There was so many words. And they're going on and on, every fruit, and they said this and that and the other one. I was like, wow, this is bringing excitement into your lives. The Yadatayim, like, we know, I know it's Tubishva, and I'm like, I'm running around, I'm busy, I have to pick this up. And like, I stop for a minute, and I'm like, I think they're doing this a little bit smarter than I am. You know what I mean? I'm like, maybe I'll remember to make some sort of shachianru somewhere along the way. And then, of course, I didn't because I'm busy. Look, finding excitement in Yiddishkeit and, like, bringing it into your family is, is awesome. It's just, that's, that is real Judaism. You know about it. We all know about it. We're not like, we don't know about it. We know about it. But what are you going to do about it? How happy are you about it? How happy are you on Purim? How happy are you on Pesach? Purim, it's easy, right? Pesach, it's much harder. Tuba, Tuba was like wasn't even on my radar. It was like just a day. Like this, right? right well, I didn't even know it was Tuba Shvat, right? It's just a day, right? <laughs> There's like nothing to it. But you can make something to it. You can make Shabbos exciting. You can make Shabbos cleaning exciting. You can make Shabbos cooking exciting. Like taking the reins of the things in our lives that we know about, but those things actually become exciting. That's how real Jews live. They make the mundane things that we have every day exciting. That's how we're supposed to live. If you ask most people, like, tell me something like, 
good gishmak, like what's going on in your life? So it's like, okay, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, all Baruch Hashem, fine. And we move past that conversation, and then we say, oh my gosh, I have to show you this TikTok, right? I have to do the funniest thing. There's like this guy, and he's like, oh, the man, like, ah, right? <laughs> it's like, okay, great. Like that's what's going on in our lives. Like, that's what's going on in our lives. Like I saw some funny meme or a funny whatever. But having like the foresight to not only know where you're standing on the Jewish calendar, but to actually internalize that and share that with your family is, is, is just so amazing. Rabbi Hanan Vasserman once went around Europe collecting money for his yeshiva. And one day he came to a certain town and he had to walk up to the door of this massive, massive home. And Rabbi Hanan walks up and he realizes that his boots were all covered in mud he was covered in snow, it was snowing, he's wet, he's cold, he's dirty, and as he's about to knock on the door, he realized this guy probably has a gorgeous house with gorgeous furniture, and the last thing this guy wants is somebody walking into his house, dripping wet, all over his rug, sitting on his couch. So Bukhanan walked around to the service entrance. The entrance where like the servants go in, the kitchen, and he knocked on the door there, and they opened the door, and they said, yes. And he said, hi, my name is Rabbi Wasserman, and I'm here collecting for my yeshiva. Can I please speak to the homeowner? And they said, sure. And the daughters came running into the kitchen to see, like, who came in through the side door. And they said, oh, it's like Rabbi Hanan Wasserman. Like, oh, okay. They're like, okay, my father will be here in a minute. So they ran out. And then the man who owned the house, he comes running into the, into the room, and he sees Rabbi Hanan Wasserman. He's standing in the service entrance. Rabbi Hanan Wasserman. And he says, Rebbe! Don't ruin my kids. And he grabs him and he says, come with me. And he leads him into the dining room. And he says, sit down on the couch. Make everything soaking wet. Tramp through the, through the white carpet, through the rug. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Don't ruin my children. My kids have to see that what's important to me is not the money. It's covered at Tyra. It's the Rosh Hashivas here. We roll out our, our red carpet to the Rosh Hashiva, even if it gets dirty. doesn't matter. And when I got married, I went to my in-laws for Shabbos. My brother-in-law, Moshe, who's now in Shadochim, Ritz Hashem just goes smooth, really awesome guy. If anybody knows a girl, just throwing it. Oh, no, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> At the time, it was many years ago. I don't want to say how long ago. I feel like I'm getting so old. It's crazy. Um, he, um, he came home from Yeshiva, elementary school, and he got like a hundred on his whatever, chumash test, let's say. And my in-laws, at the Shabbos table, my father-in-law's like, we have an announcement to make. Yeah. Moshe got a hundred on his chumash test. It was like my first Shabbos in my in-laws' house, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> like, very good, got a hundred on his chumash test. And my, my father-in-law stands up, and he's like, with my other brother-in-laws, he's like, he runs into the, from the dining room to the living room, it's like a joint. And they all like link hands and they're like, Ashray me, They're like holding, the, my, my brother, like holding him up like a safe retire, like, you know, I say, Nachaz. For 10 minutes, they're dancing around the thing. I'm like, this family is awesome. The excitement of a Chumash test, you studied, you know it, you tried. What you show your excitement towards, your children will see. You will see. It builds one on top of the other. When it's just like, eh, whatever, eh, whatever, eh, whatever, eh, whatever, another day, another dollar, <laughs> made it through. 
Life becomes stale. And Judaism becomes stale. But women are entrusted with emotions. You guys know a little bit about that. The emotional... <laughs> what are you laughing at? <laughs> the emotional balance that you will bring into your families will set the tone for your entire families. That's a pretty tall order to like be in control of those emotions. How do you do that? V'yadata hayayim v'hashevaysa el v'avacha. I want to share with you one story. Okay, a couple more minutes here, okay? So, this past summer, I go upstate to somewhere that's not in the Catskills. I'm not trying to be shady. I'm just <laughs> stating a fact. <laughs> it's not in the Catskills. And this place that I go, it's like in northern Jersey, so it's not part of like the central Hatzalah or the Catskills Hatzalah. It's not part of that. So, if there's like emergencies, there is like this ragtag group of EMTs, ex-EMTs, wannabe EMTs, guys who got revoked EMTs. Some of them are still EMTs. It's very unclear what's going on. And they sort of like get together and like this becomes like the emergency medical, you know, services for, you know, where we stay upstate. Anyways, there were two emergencies that happened when we were there. And I was like... You know, like a little bit inspired, like, you know, I think it would be good if there was a little bit more training on my end that, like, I knew, like, what to do and how to respond and whatever. So this was during COVID, which is still ongoing for certain populations. And I decided, you know what, like, being that it's the middle of COVID, there's probably some sort of course going on online that I could, like, become, like, an EMT. Like, why not? Everyone else here is, like, <laughs> either on the way in to becoming an EMT or <laughs> on the way out of becoming an EMT or used to be an EMT, or married an EMT. So why not? I might as well just join the group. And I'm stuck at home, locked down, whatever. Let's do it. So I made a few phone calls, and like the next night, an EMT course started, and I, I jumped on board with that. So took the course, Baruch Hashem, passed, passed the, uh, the state exam. Yeah? Thank you. Appreciate it. State exam. Baruch Hashem. And, uh, and I became an EMT. Now, as part of... Going for this course, you have to do rotations. So you have to go on an ambulance for 12-hour shifts and part of the 911 system, and you respond to different calls. You're able to see what's going on. Sometimes these calls could be quite boring, like to like downright like abuse of the system, and sometimes it could be like very interesting. You could really learn a lot. So some people, including me, instead of doing just like one rotation, you could do a few rotations, and this way you're able to see like a lot of calls, and this way you're able to. You know, whatever. So during my spare time, hop on an ambulance, right? Put on my little get-up EMT uh, thing. Don't tell anybody. And, uh, and respond to various, you know, calls. So there was one call that stuck out in my mind, um, which it just, it, it, it's, it's an interesting, like, Mr. Hasko. And as we were standing there, at the end of this call, I was sitting there thinking to myself, like, wow, this, is, this would make for such a great speech. So here's the this, here's this story, Okay. So we respond to a call of a, of a narcotics overdose, okay? Somebody overdosed, and they're not doing well. So the EMT crew heads towards this location, and the way it works is when you call 911, they're getting information, and they're typing it into a computer. It dispatches an ambulance. The ambulance has, like, a screen which gives them information as they're responding. So if something changes while... They're driving there, they get updated information. So we're responding to this building, 
And as we're responding, we get information on the screen that things are getting worse and worse. Person didn't just overdose, they're having a hard time breathing, they're collapsing, they're unconscious, they're getting worse and worse. This is like in like not the greatest neighborhood, to say the least. And um, all right, we pull up. So we go lights and sirens, pull up to this thing, go into this building, and uh, we head up to like the fifth floor. And when we get to the fifth floor, the door's wide open, and there's this family that's sitting there. And in every single building, there's like a certain odor. Cannot describe it. It's, it's like, I don't know, it's like overwhelming. So it's a good thing that like you have to wear a mask. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then, and then, uh, and then every house, every apartment, seemingly, like when you come to these like emergencies, there's always somebody like screaming like in some foreign language, like on Facebook Live, like trying to get somebody to translate to you like what's going on as like there's like an emergency. So this woman is like screaming on top of her lungs, um, you know, my whatever, her son, Mikasa, Ukasa, like we don't know what she's talking about and she's going on and on. I think it means my house, your house, whatever. My house is your house, whatever. And basically she's saying like, you know, help my son, whatever. Mind you, this is literally, this is like two o'clock in the morning, okay? So we like run in, find, there's a guy, he's laying there, barely breathing. He's like, his respirations are like really slow, like one, tick, 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 two, like he's barely breathing, clearly like overdosed, there's like drug paraphernalia, let's just say it like that, like right there on the side. And then he has a friend who's like Mr. Gangster Prankster, who's like, I respect law enforcement. We have not done or committed any crimes. We will not admit <laughs> to anything. You know, we are not here voluntarily. However, thank you for your kind service. I have studied criminal law under the auspices of uh, a college somewhere. And uh, my friend is in severe, dire need of your assistance right now. So we're like, okay, thank you, sir, for your, all your knowledge and information. Kindly step to the side so we could assess the patient. So this patient is like there, and he, this guy is barely hanging on. Um, so we get down, start helping this guy breathe just to keep him alive. And as this is all going on, the 911 system dispatched ALS, like paramedics who are able to give medication. So they're on their way. We're working with this patient, and... It's like pandemonium. All these apartments are like really dark and gloomy. It's like you can't see like what's going on. And there's a lot happening at one point, and this guy's life is on the line. So they take out like a BVM, which is like that bag. They're able to like help the guy breathe. And then one of the EMTs starts um, connecting Narcan, which is a drug, which you shoot into somebody's nose. A person would shoot into somebody's nose, which what it does is it counteracts the opioids from binding with the person's system. And then it stops the process like this. So this guy's laying there. The more you know, right? So, <laughs> okay. So, right. So people who are in the uh, narcotics uh, struggles, uh, I don't know how you'd say this, so who are struggling with substance abuse, that's I think the correct term. People who are struggling with substance abuse, they know this, right? And they tend to carry with them Narcan, which is like a little spray up the nose, like tss, 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 when, when the opioids are acting too much. All right. So load this whole thing up. This guy's laying on the floor. This guy's bagging him, and right, which means like helping him breathe. And the guy's like laying there. He's like basically dead. And this guy says, "Okay, move the thing. We're giving one shot of Narcan." She gives him Narcan. Narcan. Okay, you wait for a reaction. No reaction. Okay, let's let's keep breathing for him. So we keep breathing for him, and you have to wait five minutes before you give the next dose of Narcan. ALS shows up, and the ALS unit 
runs over and says, what happened? What did you guys do? We gave him Narcan. This is how much we gave him. No problem. They say, they get down on the floor. They say, okay. They put in a port, right? You guys with me in the story here? Okay. They put in a port. And the guy says, okay, I'm giving him Narcan, right, through IV. So he shoots in Narcan. The second he shoots the Narcan into this guy's bloodstream, this guy who's laying there, barely breathing, he went from, I would mimic this out for you, but I just don't think it's right. To, he's laying on the floor to hitting the ceiling in the blink of an eye. He like he woke up, and his body just, he like propelled himself like up in the thing. And he's like, what is going on? <laughs> and we're like backing away. We're like backing away. We're like, okay, I don't know. Like, what, what is going on? Right? What is going on? Right? And this guy turns around and he goes, you, 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 get out of my house right now. And we all like got frozen. Everybody just stand up for one second. <laughs> and we all, we, all, we all were like, wow, that's you know, pretty wild. And um, this guy is like, get out of my house right now. I'll kill all of you. He starts being violent, threatening, starts swinging. And we all, right, we don't want to die. So we all, <laughs> we all just started like, okay, time for us to walk out of the apartment. <laughs> Well, okay, but as, as an EMT, we're, yeah, exactly, okay, so, so we slowly back out of, we slowly back out of the apartment, and, and we leave, and when we go downstairs, the medics say to us, we have a conflict, because we just gave somebody medication, and according to New York State protocol, you have to stick around and see how his body interacts with this, because his body has so much opioids in it, the Narcan made it that he didn't die right now, and he's back. But it could be that the second wave of this will now kill him, or he could be upstairs killing himself while we speak. We have to stick around and see, you know, see what the story is. And we all realize, like, this guy's not opening the door like, oh, come on in and eat lunch with me right now. So we're like, this is, this is like a, a conflict. So they call medical control, they call the New York City doctor, and the doctor says... You guys got to go back, and you have to observe this patient. We're like, there's no way to observe this patient. This guy just overdosed. He's not opening the door for us. It's not happening. So they call for police backup. So the police show up, and we all trod all the way back up the stairs, which, by the way, when you're walking up the stairs in these buildings, you know, what's the only thing going through your mind? I hope, no, I hope this patient can walk. It's the only thing you're thinking. It's the only thing you're thinking, right? Because, right, you're going to have to carry... Right, this person down the steps, fine. So we go all the way back up the stairs. There's like five police officers and the ALS units and the BLS units, and we climb all the way back up the stairs. And when we get there, um, the police knock on the door with their, with their uh, like a nightstick or like a like a you know, but like really loud. And it's like by this point, it's three o'clock in the morning, and the building nobody even flinches. Nobody comes down. Goes like, oh, what's going on? They're like used to this. So the guy's like banging on the door, like, open up, it's the police. Nothing. Open up, it's nothing. And then after like 10 minutes of banging, one of the police officers says, should we break down the door? Like, do we need to? And they're like discussing this. And one of them says like, did anybody try the door? So the guy says, no, let's try it. So, right? so it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and the police officer turns, turns the, the knob, and the door opens up wide open, right? So this guy, who like 10 minutes before was dead, he, he shows up and he goes, he's like, officers, I have a legal question to ask you. Okay, are you allowed to enter my house without me giving permission? 
This is what he wants to know right now, right? He studied criminal justice, so he wants to know, are you allowed to enter my house? I didn't let you in. Are you allowed to come in? And the officer said, yes, we are, because we were here before. We initiated contact. Therefore, we are allowed to come into your house. We could even break down the door. So the guy says, okay. If that's the case, come on in. <laughs> okay? True story. And the guy says, all right. So he comes in. We come in. We all pile into this like little tiny apartment. And we sit down. The mother, who before was like, Mika Saukasa, she's sitting on the couch watching like Spanish TV. And the friend who was there is like disappeared. He's gone. He's gone. And the first thing the guy says is, there's only me in this apartment. Me and my mom. We're like, okay, thank you for that useless piece of information, which we know. And, you know, we know it to be false. And the guy sits down and he goes, okay, um, what do you need? So he said, we need to take your vitals and see that you're okay. And it's been like 10 minutes already. Did you take any more narcotics or anything? And the guy goes, no, I didn't take anything. Fine. They monitor all of, you know, his vitals and, and everything. They go, okay, you're good. You're okay. They call into the medical director in New York City. They say, okay, the guy's good. He's good. Like, he's good. Just get him to sign off that he's okay, doesn't want to go to the hospital, and we're good. And we leave. And as we're walking out of this building, I'm thinking to myself, wow. Here, here's the mashava, okay? Here's the thought. There's a point to the story, okay? When, when we were standing there, okay, without the police, this guy, I won't even repeat the, the language of the language that this guy was saying, you know what I'm saying? He was, I will kill everybody in this room and get out of my house, and, right? The second the police opened the door, okay, the second the police opened the door, sir, I have a legal, a legal quandary for you, right? <laughs> Officer, I would like to know, according to the statute, are you permitted to enter my abode, right? This guy's, <laughs> this is how he's talking, right? He's like not wearing a shirt, He's standing there like drug paraphernalia. I would like to know if you are permitted. You are? Yes, sir. Kindly have a seat, sir. What would you like, sir? Would you like a drink, sir? Right? This is how this guy's talking to police officers. And as I'm walking down the, street, down the steps, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, wow. We all say to ourselves every day, Shavisi Hashem Lenegdi Samid. Hashem is here. Hashem is there. Hashem is truly everywhere. Hashem is everywhere, right? And then all of a sudden, it's difficult for us to imagine that. It's difficult for us to picture that. Imagine how this guy would talk if the first time we knocked on the door, we had four police officers who make me look like a, like a Twinkie, you know? <laughs> Imagine how he would talk. Go, Sir, how are you? How you doing, officer? Right? When you're talking to some people, you have a certain attitude. All of a sudden, there's four police officers. How you doing? It's like when these guys go to court. They're like, your honor, how you doing, sir? You know, it's like tattoos everywhere, but it's like suit and tie. How you doing, gentlemen? Right? And then like two minutes later, it's like this baggy shirt. It's like, yo, I'll kill your mother and your brother. And what's, right, 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 what's the, what's the song? And another, right? <laughs> right? It's like the change is like unbelievable. And what struck me, and this is just the idea that I want to leave you with, is that you all went through seminary and you heard a lot of concepts and a lot of ideas and you probably remember most of nothing of them. Because that's just the way of the world. But in Bechut Kaisai, Telechu, if you will take something, you will leave with something, some idea, try to just remember the enthusiasm that your teachers had for the classes that they were giving. Try to remember the happiness that you saw on the faces of the children, of the teachers whose houses you ate with on Shabbos. 
Try to imagine the interactions that you saw between a husband and a wife, all those times that you visited, you baked challahs, maybe you went to Florida with Rabbi Abragamov, or you went to Israel. You just see little interactions. You see the simcha, you see the happiness, the enthusiasm that they are living with. Even if you remember absolutely nothing else, if you take that with you, it will change your attitude, and through that it will change your day. And the homework that I want to give you, I said in the beginning, is that try to have every single morning a, recollec- a recollection of an idea that you heard. Maybe like Tehila, you post it on your WhatsApp status, or you, you no, I know, we're going to keep doing this. Okay? You post it on your WhatsApp status, or you just remember it. I remember this idea. This is a machshava that's in my mind today. I thought not just about debits and credits and the tax returns and all this other stuff, but for one minute today, I thought of an idea that I was once told. I saw it on Torah anytime. I remember from my seminary teachers. I opened those old notebooks. I brush off the dust and I just open up for a second. Oh yeah, that was such a nice idea. Remind yourselves that. But if you don't even have the chance to do that, if you don't have two minutes to do that, just remember the attitude and then incorporate that attitude because one of the greatest failures in Jewish history happened because people knew, but they made the mistake, they knew, you have to incorporate that into how you feel, the excitement that you show for the mundane, and especially for the exciting things, like Purim, Pesach, and even the stuff that's maybe not as much. But if you take a minute to prepare, Lagba Omer, so exciting. What does it mean? What are we doing? If you have that excitement inside of you, it will radiate out and it will multiply. And through that, you'll continue to be the girls that we're so proud, happy to see, all of you, <laughs> even though we only know most of you. No, I'm joking. Okay? They knew that Moshe was the leader. They knew that they had to go to Paro. They knew it. But when they came time to go, they weren't, they got chased away. If you take a minute to do that, you'll see it will change your day. It'll change your marriage. It'll change your children. It'll change everything about you because you ultimately are in charge of your emotions. That attitude adjustment is one of the greatest gifts that you can give to your family and that you can give to yourselves. Have a good night. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.